Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our World Risk Register Threat Monitoring Service. These podcasts are released on a weekly basis, covering timely and relevant topics. In these discussions, we hope to shed light on evolving scenarios and provide actionable predictions and implications. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Sibline Insight Series. I'm here with Amy Reynolds, our uh, Asia-Pac analyst, and we're going to be discussing uh, the Canadian-Chinese relationship at the moment. Thanks for joining, Amy. Thank you. So we've been hearing a lot about Canada, China in the news. Can you just break down what happened? What initially sparked these tensions we're hearing about? So, yeah, in the past, Canada hasn't really been involved very much in the kind of broader jostling between the U.S. and China. But they were then drawn into this situation quite suddenly uh, late last year. Tensions between China and Canada really flared in December following the arrest of Meng Wanzhou, a Chinese national and chief financial officer of telecoms firm Huawei. Meng was apprehended by the Canadian authorities in Vancouver Airport based on an extradition request from the US where she faces charges of fraud. And this was interpreted by China as a highly politicized, targeted move, um, and they responded immediately with claims that it infringed Meng's rights and, and with calls for her release. And then when this didn't happen, Beijing went one step further and retaliated by detaining two Canadian citizens in China. And these were former diplomat and NGO worker Michael Kovrig and businessman Michael Spabel. And both of these men were detained within two weeks of Meng's arrest. So despite the fact that Beijing maintains that these cases aren't linked to that of Meng, the timing here kind of suggests otherwise. Uh, and then uh, in the six months since, this atmosphere of bilateral tension has, has very much endured. Okay. So it sounds like we had a lot happen within a short period of time at the beginning of December last year. But has anything changed in the recent weeks? Um, what's going on with Meng's case? So, to be honest, not really much has changed. Um, Meng's case is very much ongoing. She's out on bail in Vancouver at the moment. She's appeared in court a few times in recent months, um, and the Canadian authorities have now authorized her extradition case to the considerable annoyance of Beijing. Uh, and everything seems to suggest here, really, that her trial is going to be a long and drawn-out affair. Um, her legal team are going to challenge her extradition at every possible turn, using their right to appeal, claiming that it's politicized and that it undermines her rights. So it, it might actually be years before we actually we see a resolution here. And Meng's next scheduled to appear in court in September, I think on the 23rd. And then her formal extradition hearings haven't been scheduled yet, but they're likely to take place early next year. Okay, yeah, so we're looking at a long, drawn-out process with Meng, but then uh, tell me a little bit about what's going on with Michael uh, Spavor and Kovrig. What's their status in China? So, yes, Kovrig and Spavor are both still detained in China. They're held in undisclosed locations with reportedly minimal access to diplomatic services, no access to legal services. They haven't been able to see their, their family members and loved ones. Mm-hmm. And Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has, has come out and said that this is a very concerning situation. And this has been echoed recently by a number of Canadian and U.S. politicians who have commented on the, uh, the concerning conditions in which these two men are potentially being held. Okay. Yeah, so we have Meng, status quo uh, with her trial. We have a little bit of an escalating focus on the plight of the two Canadians currently detained. But 
things kind of seem to be stuck in a holding pattern largely when we talk about uh, Canadian-Chinese relations. Are there any broader implications of this kind of maintenance of the status quo for Canadian, both Canadian individuals and businesses that may be operating in China? Yeah, definitely. Well, on the one hand, there's a, there's an ongoing risk of these type of arbitrary detentions or of other selective applications of justice that's facing Canadian nationals living in or, or even visiting China. And most vulnerable here are people like NGO workers, diplomatic staff, maybe tech company executives, and anyone who's been publicly vocal of the Chinese government. Although I think that this risk shouldn't be overstated. Um, ultimately, only a small handful people of people here have really been impacted out of the many hundreds of thousands of Canadians that are living in China. I think far more commonly, there's a risk of regulatory harassment mm -hmm. and this kind of lower level informal business restriction on Canadian firms operating in China. So uh, the most kind of high profile, we've seen the removal by the Chinese government of export licenses for four major Canadian uh, agricultural product exporters in recent months. And, and then more broadly still, according to a recent survey, 20% of Canadian firms operating in China have reported an increase in things like customs delays, uh, enhanced regulation, enhanced inspections, and uh, cancellations and postponements of contracts and agreements since the onset of, of the Meng dispute. And while China won't admit it, the timings of all these things, of all these moves, have coincided with key dates in Meng's case and her court appearances. Um, which I think strongly suggests that they are politically motivated decisions. And I, I see it as a kind of way of Beijing using its economic power to try and put pressure on the Canadian authorities to make favorable decisions in Meng's case. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. And it's kind of, a, from my understanding, in line with what we've seen coming from China before in these kind of political disputes. So with that in mind, what's your forecast? Do you think that these heightened risks are here to stay? Uh, can we ex expect an easing of tensions in the coming months at any point? Unfortunately, I, I don't really think we can. Uh, I think Canadian firms in China are going to continue to face these type of risks mm -hmm. and remain subject to this additional level of scrutiny for at least the duration of Meng's case, which, as we've said, might be for several years. I think key dates in the case, uh, Meng's court appearances and, and hearings, are likely to be particular flashpoints, mm -hmm. and this is in line with what we've seen so far. So we'll be monitoring this situation closely around September. And then I think, kind of as you've alluded to, even when Meng's case is eventually wrapped up, I don't think this is going to be the end of this type of behavior on China's part. In other bilateral disputes, we're likely to see the Chinese weighing in to exert this type of economic pressure mm -hmm. when things aren't going their way. And we've already seen examples of this with Australia and with a number of other countries. Great. Thanks so much, Amy. So it sounds like we'll be checking in again in a couple of months to hear what the updates are. Uh, thank you to everybody for listening. As always, any comments or feedback, please reach out to info at sibylline.co.uk. And otherwise, speak to you soon. Thank you for listening. And we hope you have found this podcast useful. If you would like to learn more about our services, or if you have any questions or feedback, please get in touch at info at sibylline.co.uk.